Welcome to this week's episode of the HRDQU In Review podcast, where we bring you the latest insights and practical tools for enhancing soft skills training in your organization. This podcast is brought to you by HRDQ.com, and I am your host, Sarah, Learning Events Manager at HRDQU. And today I'm joined by Sally Foley Lewis as we discuss the webinar she presented on The Middle Matters Five Habits of High Performing Middle Managers. The positive feedback that we received from this event was powerful, with the information shared hitting home for so many of our attendees. And throughout the discussion, we explored essential aspects of effective middle management, offering actionable insights and real-life examples that can be immediately implemented into your organization's soft skills training. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sally. Oh, Sarah, it's my absolute pleasure. So before we get into it, Sally and I have had the opportunity. We've we've been working together now for, oh my goodness, what, three years, I think. We've done plenty of events. Forever. Forever. And it's been an absolute blast, an absolute blast. (laughs) It's always such a joy working with Sally. Even when she's working with me on her time zone at 3 a.m., she is always bright and cheerful. I I don't know how she does it. It's called coffee, folks. It's called a whole lot of coffee. Yes. (laughs) And so before we kick things off, can we just catch everybody up to speed? And can you tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do and how you got to where you're at today? Oh, thank you so much. Look, Sarah, I am someone who's uh, utterly and totally obsessed and passionate about raising the visibility, the confidence, the capability of our middle managers. I believe they are the powerhouse of an organisation. I believe that even though sometimes they feel like they're squished in the middle, like, uh, you know, the most badly wrapped up burger and it's all oozing out the sides uh, (laughs) or they feel like while they're absolutely surrounded by a million people, they're the loneliest cohort, I do believe they are perfectly positioned. They are in in like no other role in an organisation. Middle managers have got so much power that is probably unrealised and untapped and so... Um, that's where I'm driven. That's where my purpose lies. That's what I want my legacy to be is that I want to raise up middle managers because I have seen middle management from every level of an organisation. From when I was a junior starting out in the lowest ranks of an organisation, working my way through, including middle management, all the way to being a CEO of an organisation. And I think that gives me also a unique perspective on middle management and middle managers and uh, what they need and what they are desperately lacking, (laughs) Um, not them themselves as individuals, but the support, the guidance and the learning and development around them. And so that's what I do. That's what I focus on. I've written a few books. I'm currently writing my fifth book and um, really, really chuffed and really, and I don't know if chuffed translates, so I'm really proud and impressed <laughs> and happy that someone, the likes of Brian Tracy, a personal development guru, was able to endorse one of my books, The Productive Leader. Um, you know, I get to speak on stages around the world virtually and face-to-face, um, sending the good message of middle managers out there. And <laughs> so I, deli- I not only deliver presentations but run 
short and long leadership programs as well. That's enough talking about me. Let's talk about more important things like, like you know, <laughs> middle managers and learning and development. <laughs> and that brought to my to my attention before we did it. We did it. It was quite some time ago. It was probably over a year ago. But you did a webinar on managing up, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of what you're talking about is how middle managers they're so connected with you know the lower level employees, but also with the higher executive employees and how they have to really be able to communicate the needs of of their their staff. Absolutely. I think that, and I shared this in the webinar and I go on and on and on about this, just, you know, just warning you all, I go on about this, <laughs> that middle managers don't just inform. They are, again, perfectly positioned to inspire down um, to really help the, the frontline engage and be purpose-driven. And then they're also perfectly positioned to collaborate across left and right with their peers in order to innovate, uh, create, work on cost efficiencies rather than compete with your peers. You can collaborate and and gain more traction and more uh, influence upwards. And that's the other thing. The third thing is that influencing upwards, which is linked to your managing up. Um, I think middle managers, because of their unique position, being able to hear and see uh, what's going on at lower levels, at the front line, at the client-facing line, more easily than senior ranks, are in that position to be able to influence up. So they definitely can manage up too. And so kind of taking a step back here before we kind of start diving but more into the the content from the the webinar, what changes do you see happening in the L&D space right now? Oh, I think that as an L&D professional, what used to be very comfortable should be incredibly uncomfortable. The 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 L&D person who has become very you know and I'm going to be a bit direct here so bear with me um there's no place for complacency and not that there ever was but let's face it we go through these cycles in our careers and if we're in L&D we can get really comfortable in our sweet spot you know we're delivering a certain uh a range of content or we are you know, delivering programs in a certain way, we get comfortable, we get into our beautiful little cosy comfort zone around how we develop and sorry, how we deliver and what we deliver. And I think that, you know, this, this (laughs) not so small blip on our radar called a pandemic (laughs) actually bumped us out of that. And I think that's actually a silver lining because those who weren't prepared to shift in how they deliver, what they deliver, um, will actually be left behind. And that means that those who are willing to step up and look at how do I engage even in a more diverse way? How do I make sure that the information and the skills and then, you know, the knowledge transfer, the development that I'm trying to achieve is actually being reached in a way that my audience, my, my, my learners need it the way they need to receive it. And, you know, and let's just call it really quite plainly. Um, one of the, and as an example, I have a one day delegation skills workshop that I would walk in, deliver it, walk out. And then when COVID hit, um, obviously it was a work from home. It was, can you deliver this online? And it, 
gave me the opportunity because I refused to do whole day online workshops. I mean, kill me now, how boring. <laughs> you know, like we are, we're online enough, right? And we're online in meetings trying to smile and, and keep a straight face and, you know, especially if we're made to have the camera on, to make someone be online for a training program, no matter how good I might think I am, <laughs> is just not fair. So I decided to split that workshop into two half days and then had the opportunity to put a little bit of extra into the workshop where they have to go away, do something and come back. So I ended up value-adding to a workshop and I will never deliver that workshop as a one-day workshop ever again, even if it's face-to-face because it was this moment of, I've just taken this to a whole other level and improved this because of COVID. So um, I do believe that we have to meet employees where they're at um, and, you know, organisations are getting massive pushback on uh, a hybrid, remote, whatever you want to call it. You know, we've got these fads of the quiet quitting and the loud resigning and whatever you want to call it, these fads we've got going at the moment. So organisations are at the mercy of where your, their employees want to be. L&D are the same. How can you adjust what you're doing so that you're actually maintaining a high level of engagement and the learning sticks? Wow, that sounds, it seems like this really was the silver lining in in this horrible COVID pandemic of coming up with such a, a, an improved way of, of doing what you do best. It can be, it can be. And I think if, if this is scary for L&D professionals, um, then I kind of, part of me is kind of saying, good, <laughs> because <laughs> being scared means that you're now on that, on the cliff edge of a choice. And and if you want to take that opportunity and, and push yourself out of your comfort zone, you, who knows what, what amazing opportunities will open up for you. Yeah. yeah. And that brings me here up to this next question. I think it's a good lead into that. What exciting things are you up to next? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm finding that a lot of people are really in that hybrid work environment. And so, uh, interestingly, I'll get engaged to come in and deliver something face-to-face and then um, it's sort of we're two hours in and someone says, oh, you know, our, our team in another state are really interested but they uh, can't hear you. And I am said, what team in another state? You didn't tell me it was hybrid. And I find out that the camera's been pointed at not my face for the whole day, but the camera's been pointing at my bottom for, for two oh, days, no. for two hours. So I have to have a laugh and say, well, you've got my best side. Um, but so there's a real big adjustment going on and I think there's a lot of organisations are realising hybrid is just not hitting it. Um, it's a cost effective, but it's actually not going in that direction. So... Um, Exciting things that I think are coming is that I believe that we'll drop hybrid to a certain degree and we'll be back in the room. People are craving face-to-face again and um, the organisations are prepared to put L&D on a plane and move them and get them into the room again. Um, In so far as that, there's also because of 
COVID and the amplification of tech to create AI and these um, hologramic type of experiences that are coming, I think there's a real exciting opportunity to be on a stage and rather than click your little clicker and present it for a, the next slide, you can click the clicker and it's the next holographic thing that's standing right next to you on the stage. How cool is that? You know, <laughs> um, you know, the tech's been there, the tech has been developing, but I think our access to it is, is, is not far from being mainstream um, if it isn't already. And I think, again, scary if you've never ventured into that before, but, boy, wouldn't that be so cool. So <laughs> that's what I think is exciting. And um, I know that there's been a uh, – the, the, the last – conference that was a run by the National Speakers Association in America had um, that kind of presentation on one of their main stages. And unfortunately, I couldn't be there to that convention. Um, but I, but I've seen the photos and I was just in absolute awe and had a bucket of FOMO, um, fear of missing out, um, because it looked pretty spectacular. Wow, that does sound really cool. I have to check that yeah. out myself. Mm. And so we recently did a webinar together, The Middle Matter Matters, Five Habits That High-Performing Middle Managers Use. And so can you let us know what the key takeaway was for the registrants at that event to get everybody up to the speed if we have you know, some new listeners here that didn't get the chance to, to watch the webinar yet? Sure, sure. So absolutely go back and watch the webinar and listen to all my weird and wonderful stories. Um, but essentially what we're talking about in the five habits is when you're grounded in your values, you know what you stand for. So values is number one. When you're clear about how and what you want to be known for, you can stay the course to achieve your legacy as a leader. So your legacy is number two and your legacy starts yesterday, right? Start it now. Um, you don't get to start your legacy um, the day you submit your one-month notice of moving on. Um, uh, the more self-aware you are, the better you can lead. And so self-awareness is number three in the habits. And Yes, there's that internal emotional intelligence, your own understanding your own style, but it's also understanding what's driving some of your behaviors. So, for example, if you don't delegate, what is that really about? You know, um, I gave an example in the session around someone who looks around and, and on the face of it says, look, everyone's busy and, and it's just easier if I do it myself. But if, but we do need to scratch a little bit deeper and, um, look under that and have a, have a look at what's really going on and dive into that self awareness level. And it's came down to trust. And so um, that person didn't trust uh, that people would do it to their standard, didn't trust it'd be done on time. And so that then gives us the right problem identification, which we can then match up with the right solution. So self-awareness is the third habit and really important. And then the fourth one is that the more you can purposefully um, inspire, collaborate and influence, the clearer and more confident you'll be in expressing yourself. And while we can probably wrap that up is as the fifth habit and we call the fourth habit, sorry, and call it communication, I want to be nuanced and really clear that, and as we said at the top of the, the show, um, you do more than inform. 
as a middle manager, you get to inspire, collaborate, and influence. So um, making sure you're expressing yourself the right way and and being clear and intentional in that expression is important. And then the fifth one is around making sure that you take every moment, big or small, to uplift others. You know, leaders are lifters and so it doesn't have to be formalised, it, and it, but it can be. It doesn't have to be a massive, big, huge gesture, but it can be. It can it can be simply being present for someone when you're saying good morning, hello, how are you, versus the, the usual that we often probably experience when someone's walking past and says hello and they throw that hello into the wind and it kind of, hmm, who's that supposed to land on? You know, it's, it's actually, it can be really quite small, but remembering that, you as a leader, even if you don't see yourself as as a powerful leader, you are. Um, as a middle manager, you've got so much power. So who are you lifting up each and every day and, you know, making sure you seize those opportunities to do so. And when I think these all come together, these, these five habits, values, legacy, self-awareness, expression and uplifting, they come together um, for a middle manager to be so purpose perfectly positioned um, so they just give so much more value. And, you know, value is one of the habits you say are the fundamental for middle managers. What if a middle manager is not sure what their values are? How can they, they work out what they are to them? Yeah, great question, Sarah. I have worked with quite a few who, when we do some exercises around what are your top values, they have this nice glazed over blank look on their face and I think, right, well, let's start from scratch. So, <laughs> and look, fair enough too because you don't often have this sort of a conversation. You know, you're there to do a job. You don't often get asked what your values are and actually you get told that you will align yourself to the organisation's values, which don't get me started. That's a whole other podcast we could do. Um, and Cranky Sally might come out with that one. But for, me, <laughs> but for values, if you're not really sure, think about what is it that you absolutely love? What are the characteristics and the drivers and the behaviours that you absolutely love about your best friend, okay? Because what that is is what you admire and that's a value that you appreciate. So that might be one of your values. If you think about what absolutely ticks you off like it really gets under your skin and I've got a cranky facial expression right now you know what really drives you ugh, insanely angry you know that's actually a demonstration of your value what brings you such joy and you almost can cry with with just delight um that could be a value as well. So just tap into those extreme emotions to think about then is it, um, you know, if you get really angry uh, like I do and I shared the story in the webinar, I get angry when people abuse their power. Um, now I told a very just, you know, a horrible story about an experience I had but how that can show up in work or in the workplace is that when someone takes the credit for someone else's work, you know, that to me is an abuse of power. Now, I don't go insanely angry, but I do get a bit grumpy and I have to, you know, check myself and check my emotions, but that's a value for me. So think about those things that trigger those extreme emotions and then you'll find just 
allow yourself to explore that because what that will show you is the value. I think it's a really great way to think about it. It makes it a lot more digestible because sometimes it is hard to, to figure out what mm. your values are. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And why should middle managers collaborate with their peers when there's so much competition across an organization? Yeah, I think this one is, um, it's one of those things that we think we have to compete and because we, you know, we hear the rhetoric around there's only so much budget, I had to give it to this team, you know, all those sorts of things. And when I hear that, I think, well, there's a missed opportunity. So I'll, I'll give a, I'll give an example. Um, I used to live in a very remote small town where there was 35 or more very tiny sporting organisations and it was my job to help those organisations um, secure funding for programs, for equipment, for infrastructure and it was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous competitive approach where maybe if they were lucky, one small club every other year would actually secure funding. And I sat there and I went up to some of the bigger clubs' presidents and thought, there's got to be a better way. And I, and I said, at, at, the, um, at the ridiculous notion of suggesting we create another club, this is what I'm suggesting that we create another club that is actually an overarching um, representation of all the clubs and that way everyone comes together and we collaborate and fight for greater funding and therefore when, for example, previously if one little club wanted to get get a measly $5,000 for some planning, no one else could tap into that. But if together they got ten to fifteen thousand dollars for some planning, all the clubs could come in together and participate in that planning process and benefit from it. And so to me, that's like middle managers. If you look left and right to your peers and actually have conversations around what are your resource issues? What are your infrastructure issues? What are your programming issues? What are your throughput or input and output issues? You know, let's, let's compare and contrast and see where we can actually support each other, uh, go into bid together rather than compete. And the other thing I think middle managers really miss out on if they aren't working consciously and deliberately and actively to build a team left and right of them, not just thinking downwards, is the 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 more personal side of it. The how do we how do we maneuver around this politi- political game that's being played at the moment? How are you handling the change that you've got to implement? You know that senior leader, this you know the CFO. How do you how do you approach the CFO to get what you need? How do I get the chief marketing officer to actually value your work? You know, so that I can learn from that as well. You know, so there's real value in spending that time collaborating with your peers rather than competing. Um, and when you, when it does happen, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. And there's cost savings, engagement goes up. And here's the other thing that is very rarely spoken about. The direct reports feel an impact when middle managers are 
feeling lonely when middle managers are not engaged with their teams left and right and collaborating because that pressure leaks down. That sounded gross, but it does. It leaks <laughs> down, right? And it actually impacts on the front line. And so those direct reports are really feeling relieved when they know that their boss, their middle manager, actually has their own support network. So think about that. I think that's pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And and you said part of middle managers being perfectly positioned is about influencing up. How can they do that when they don't know how to communicate with certain executives? It's like they don't yeah, know their language. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think that's a really, really critical question because we don't, we, we can, you know, we've got these different personality styles, um, different behavioral styles, different communication styles, different different styles for everything, not just how we dress, you know, it's, it's all <laughs> sorts of things. So it's about taking the time to think about how do I, how do I craft my message in a way that it can be heard in what's in it for them? And I know we've heard it all before, but when we're in the thick of doing this work and when we're wanting to get our thing over the line or get our thing approved, we stop thinking about the crafting of the message. We don't often stop and do that. So, for example, when we think about it, I'd say that take the chief financial officer. Now, I'm not blaming. This is not a negative thing. It's just the first thing that popped into my head. But if I'm wanting the chief financial officer to come on board with my project and actually help pitch it to the rest of the C-suite, then I've got to get into financial language land. I've got to get into how does, how does doing my project create cost efficiencies? Now, chief financial officers are actually not about holding the purse strings tight. They're actually not about not spending. What they're about is spending wisely. And so my project has to be pitched in a way where I'm talking about where we can save money, how it can actually be, bring a return on investment, what uh, what the, the comparisons might be in three different expenditures and therefore the longevity and the, the quality of that expenditure. And so think of it in terms of how the CFO might, might need to hear the message so they can support you. And here's the thing. If you don't know, then book in half an hour, be gracious and bring a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or, or a virtual drink and say, I'd like to understand your role more and what your overarching strategy or vision is so that when I need to be able to pitch things, I'm taking that into consideration, you know, or another way of putting it is I want to be able to pitch my projects better, but I don't understand how to do it so that I'm accounting for every aspect. I want to be more strategic. So from the CFO or from the financial department or from the marketing department or from the engineering department or from the IT department, you know, tell me how to be more strategic from your perspective, okay? So that's how I think it can be played out. And and someone, you know, yes, you're busy, but this is the best investment if because you, you're either just going to get constantly get no's 
or constantly being pushed back and sent back to try again. So if you invest that time up front, learning the language, learning the the strategic intent of a different of that department, then you can build that in at the beginning and you have a greater chance of actually getting what you need and want for your own department and your own team. It's like learning how to see see through the other person's lens or putting your feet in their shoes. Precisely, <laughs> precisely. I mean, we talk about like let's take disc profiles as a as a real basic example. You know, are you task focused or are you people focused? All right. Automatically we've split it into two. And then we then we flip it the other way and we ask the question, are you um, a slow paced person? So you you're you know, you're thoughtful and you're considered and you take a bit of time to make decisions or to even uh, participate in conversations, or are you fast paced? You are decisive, you are go, 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 you're more reactionary. So now we've got four different styles to play with. You know, so it's exactly like that. It's taking that little bit of time just to, to think about who that person is, what their agenda would be, and how you can frame it to help them say yes for you. And you talk about five habits of high-performing middle managers. Can you briefly talk about what they are and why these, ha- why these habits that you chose? Because I'm sure that there must be more. Oh, there's absolutely, there's, we could go on for hours. <laughs> uh, and I did see ages ago a list of all the skills and attributes and characteristics of a great leader and there's actually contradicting ones on that list. So it's impossible, right, to be all things all the time and the same goes with the habits. But I believe the five habits that I talk about, values, like understanding your values, setting your legacy, improving your self-awareness, being clear about your intentions and expressing yourself and then lifting others. To me, they're fundamental. If you can, if you can work on those and definitely starting with the first two, the first two are quite like drivers. So that's values and legacy. And the last three are more like behaviors. Then that will set you up as someone who's confident, clear, a great communicator, and also someone who can who can lift others, and therefore creating creating other leaders around them that then lifts you up. And there are absolutely other habits to to focus on, but I would say start with those five. And if that's overwhelming, and you sit there and you're thinking, "Oh my goodness, I've got to work on all five, Start with values. Absolutely. Yeah. And and before we close out and conclude our conversation today, Sally, where can listeners go to learn more about work and connect with you? Well, I actually trade under my own name because um, I couldn't think of a business name. And so <laughs> that makes it pretty easy. So if you Google me, Sally Foley Lewis, you'll find me. There's only one of me, kind of thank goodness. Um, so sallyfollylewis.com is where you can find me. I'm on the socials as well. Feel free to connect. I'd love to connect and have a chat. If you have any questions about middle management, leadership development, um, I'm all ears. 
Great. And make sure that you check out the webinar. It's linked below if you have yet to do so um, already. There's some really great feedback. And Sally, again, just talked a little bit more about that today with with some some more information um, from some of the cops top comments and and commentary that we received from our audience. So thank you so much, Sally, for joining me today. Sarah, it is always a pleasure to spend time with you. So thank you. And thank you to HRDQ, you as well. And thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope you enjoy listening to the HRDQU and Review podcast available on all major streaming platforms. And if you did enjoy today's episode, make sure to give us a follow and leave us a review. I will see you all next week.